This is the Amidon Planet Podcast, episode 42. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is kind of the reason for the podcast. It's uh, my mentor, Joe Dye, Hall of Fame teacher, Hall of Fame mentor, Hall of Fame coach. Uh, he is a person that means the most to me in my professional life, and I mean, we are, I already had the interview, so you're going to hear it in just a second. I'll get to it as quickly as possible because I don't want to delay. But when I talked to him and was recalling all the different things that he said or did within his classroom, and I'm writing them down. I'm like, this is what I do in my classroom. And like all the different influences that um, he has had on me as, as a professional. And, and the reason why to start this podcast was to share, you know, like books and other things that I was learning about on how I was figuring out how to teach better from these different sources. But I mean, the number one source, the, the source of the well is right here. And been wanting to have Joe on uh, for quite some time. Talked about him a number of times on the podcast and, you know, global pandemic got in the way. <laughs> and uh, But finally uh, was able to connect with him and because uh, he's busy. He's still busy. He's a busy guy and and still he's been in education for a long time. He's still uh, still educating. Uh, and you're going to hear about what he's up to in, in the conversation, but able to finally connect with him and and bring him on the episode of the podcast. And just to, it was a joy uh, to talk with him. And I know it'll, it's going to be a joy to share it with all of you. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Joe Dye. Joe Dye. Welcome to the Amazon Planet Podcast. How are you? I'm good, Joel. Thank you so much for including an old person like myself in this podcast. My oh, I, it, Long time no see. That's right. Exactly. And it's like, well, age is, age is just a number, right? And I always feel like you're, you always have that youthful vigor about you. Like you're always, uh, always on the edge of uh, exploring things and thinking about new ideas. And, and it's just a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, I think that's part of being a lifelong learner, Joel. You know, as you you continue to learn from your grandchildren, from former students, from former teachers, and uh, every day is a new opportunity to do something better. And I know we we haven't talked for. I mean, we well, we just talked a, a little while ago, but a, a week ago or two weeks ago, and but before then, it'd been a while. And I just I know that you know <laughs> the people on this podcast and, and uh, have heard me mention your name over and over again, and so like that. That sort of spirit of always wanting to be a learner, I think that that's been ingrained from, uh, I think my dad was always a reader, but then also just hearing you and seeing you interact in the classroom when I was a, a clinical and, or a, I was a student teacher, gosh, I think it's 20 years ago. I think it's 20 years, 21 years ago, maybe even. <laughs> Crazy yeah. to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. But can you, can you just give a little bit of background on yourself um, and your history in education? Sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, I, I graduated high school in 71 and probably the people that, you know, had the biggest impact on myself um, were classroom teachers um, outside the scope of my family. Uh, and my dad happened to be a person that always worked um, second shift. And I don't know if there's a more debilitating shift than second shift mm, so far as yeah. truly having connections with the family, because my dad would he would go to work, uh, you know, at uh, three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon, worked till one o'clock in the morning. So he was never there when we came home. And um, then he would be sleeping in the morning when we, when we got up to go to school. 
um, and not through a choice, but that was just the way it was. Mm -hmm. So the people that had an impact on me happened to be teachers and coaches. And long story short, um, that I made a decision right away that I wanted to be in that capacity. And I had a gentleman by the name of Robert McDonald as a high school uh, math teacher. And he was some folks would call a grinder, but he brought mathematics to life and, you know, and made mathematics real and always had a real world app on things that he was doing. And so went to Whitewater, graduated uh, in a grind in three and a half years. And but that was back before they, those po folks at the um, university were paying professors too much money. And <laughs> they would allow they would allow students like myself at that time to take 23 <laughs> or 24 credits for one flat fee, anything above. <laughs> 15 was free. So um, I did that. And then I started teaching at um, a high school in um, the Fox Valley in Wisconsin and Menasha. And I'm sure that, you know, that's not super far from Altoona. So you've got some um, connection with it in some across form. 29. Um, yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was always the barometer. Is it, is it north of Highway 29? That's right. Um, but the bottom line is, um, and being in the classroom early on, um, one of the persons that it affected me was a gentleman that I had as a high school counselor. His name was Dick Davies. And uh, I thought, you know what, I, I need to be a better listener. You know, and I know to this day that my wife would tell me that I'm not a good listener. However, um, in the spirit of trying to become a better listener and to hear students and hear parents and hear administrators and colleagues, um, I decided I'd get my master's in counseling. And I don't know that I ever really, Joel, had any aspirations to go into the, the counseling but I knew I needed to be a better listener. And even to this day, you know, I just finished reading uh, Gladwell's book, uh, Talking to Strangers. Mm, and yeah. I, I just think that if we as classroom instructors can do anything, we want to light fires for kids and for our colleagues. And we want to be better listeners. And just like, you know, I had a little apprehension coming into the Zoom meeting today, uh, <laughs> whether it be my whether it be my first year and my first lesson rolling out a new school year, school year with students. Um, I always had those butterflies in my stomachs on the first day of class because, you know, on the other side of that desk are the parents' most valued assets. Mm. And I mean that um, they're, they're the most valuable thing that we as parents hold and are the children, you know, we, they send off to school to trust us as educators every day. And uh, you know what? I know that they felt like they were talking to strangers. And you can probably recall one of the first activities we did is I have students draw a car and, you know, boom, well, here we go. We get the side view of a car and I said, well, okay, I'm the bird and I'm going to give you the, the bird's eye view so that I can make my dropping or I'm a mechanic and I'm going to give you the, the lift view where I'm underneath your car looking at it. So the biggest thing is, I think, talking to strangers and that reaffirmed for me when I read it the other day is, you know, I just think that we need to be great listeners and great communicators in the classroom. And that's kind of where I am today. I have a, um, a wife that was a educator and she had her own preschool for multiple years. And um, my daughter is uh uh, the policy director for Governor Evers here in Wisconsin, and my son and his wife both work as educators in a nearby district. Yeah, and uh, well, and I don't want to skip over too. I mean, a, a big part of your life as as a teacher too was as a coach. And I know we're we're going to talk about this about how you keep those separate. But could you give a little bit of background on your coaching experience as well? Well, I certainly will. You know, and I, I think. You know, Joel, and, and I think you probably put a qualifier because in some form, you know, to try and keep it separate. And one of the things that I always felt is that, you know, athletics and participation in athletics is not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And it's not the reason that the students walk through my door in the in, in, and into the classroom when I was at um, Menasha or whether I was at 
Parker High School. Um, so I never, ever put those things up in my room. You know, there was never clippings about football or clippings yeah. about track and field. Was, um, because the bottom line is I, our goal, I think, is to light fires. I mean, very seriously, mm -hmm. you know, and whether that fire for a student is robotics, whether that fire for a student is coding, whether that fire for a student is music or whether that fire for a student is athletics or the theater. I mean, the bottom line is we simply want our kids to get a hook and a hook into something good so that they can drill down a little bit deeper and say, oh, man, maybe this is something I want to do for my life. You know, and, you know, I, I think, you know, AAA is kind of in some form become antiquated. Uh, mm -hmm. I guarantee that Joel Amadon, when he was growing up in Altoona, Wisconsin, never, ever saw himself as a person that was be sitting in a cubicle hosting a podcast on behalf of <laughs> Ole Miss Education. That's right. No, you know, no. and the bottom line, you know, and, and so I think the thing is that we light fires enough so that, you know, unfortunately, lighting fires is not a, probably a good term to use right now in our country with so many wildfires that we have. Mm -hmm. But we, when we light fires, those fires burn. And the hotter the passion is, the more it flames. And students really take themselves to places that they never, ever anticipated. So when you talk about athletics, but and you know because your student taught at our place, is that athletics are a huge, huge part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And as recent as yesterday, um, I had I was out for a walk and I ran into one of our former players and former students, and he's now a pharmacist here in a nearby locale. Oh, wow. And he just said to me, he said, you know, the, the things that I learned by participating in athletics was, you know, to treat people right, to be respectful, and the concept of teamwork and hard work and perseverance and paying off. And I think that. Um, we all want students in our classroom to have those aspirations. And instead of posting on the note, the star, hey, great work, great work, you know, you know, hey, it's clear to me, you know, hey, Joel, that you really put in a lot of effort on this and you've, you've uh, drilled down and you've gotten to, to some really interesting questions about what you want to ask yourself about your future. And he said to me, he says, if it had it not been for just a chance encounter, me walking by your classroom one time after school and we were talking about, and he says, oh, I was so enthralled with athletics. And, and he says, I, I would have stuck in that path and po possibly done something that I don't think I would nearly be as happy as I am today. And I know he's a pharmacist and he's putting his intellect and his ability at, into good use. Yeah, absolutely. It is like thinking about the, um, the sports that you were a part of, like, you know, football and track, like two of the largest participatory sports. And yet, yeah, seeing that uh, as a way to build those relationships with kids and then seeing those, those relationships are what you brought into the classroom, but not just like, there was never any, Hey, coach die in, in the, in the school building. There was a, it was Mr. Die. And, but those relationships are still there. And then those relationships connected to other relations. I mean, so it's like this network that could extend across a school. That was pretty, pretty cool to see from someone who is just beginning his career in education. Well, you know, and I think I appreciate you saying that Joel, you know, and uh, it was never to me about whether it was coach die or Mr. Die, because I want that student that's sitting and he or she has their cheeks in the um, seats of the desk in the classroom. I want that student to be as excited about coming to class because I, I do think, you know, and I had the good fortune of, as I said, of being a father of two children. And if you go back and look at uh, Cruella DeBell, you know, I, I never wanted our kids, whether it be in football or in track and field or most importantly, 
me in the classroom, I didn't want them to feel like they had to bring an umbrella to class because, you know, there was going to be a black storm that was going to come <laughs> and strike somebody down at any given time. Because the worst thing that we can do as educators is prompt a learner to lose dignity in front of his or her peers. Yeah. Well, and then seeing like how, um, I just, it, it, this is just, it's bringing me back. Cause like, senior the first day of, of class so uh, just a little bit of background in our relationship is so I was a student teacher I was in my first so at Madison you did two rounds of student teaching um full semester and so I was, I was in my first semester of student full round of student teaching it was going to happen in the fall of 2000 right it was fall of two, yes mm-hmm. yeah fall of 2000 yes and we can remember that because that also is the semester that uh, 9-11 happened and we had some other events that happened that made that kind of a, I mean, it's some traumatic things that occurred. Um, but I mean, but at the same time, so I was going to be going to student teaching. I was getting my assignment, I believe in the spring, I was getting it in the spring of, uh, uh, of 2000. I was getting my assignment from uh, Dr. Meg Meyer from the University of Wisconsin. She said, I've got a position for you. It's going to be in Janesville, Wisconsin with uh, a Mr. Joe Dye. And I'm like, Janesville, that was like a 45 minute drive. I'm like, oh my gosh. And she's, and she's like, and I'm like, and I was mad. I was really mad, Joe. I was like, I don't want to go drive every, I mean, let's pay for gas. I'm not getting paid for this thing. Like, this is going to be tough. And, and, exactly. she's like, and she's like, no, this is what you should do. Trust me this is the best position. And, and Meg and I became very good friends after this too. But after, I was a little upset. And then I called you and you said, Oh, it's 40, 41 minutes from downtown to Parker high school. You'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah. And there it started. I That's think at our first phone call, but like having that student teacher relationship then from, I think whenever we, I mean, I started and I, I gave you, I told you I wanted to be interested in coaching and you welcomed me open arms for whatever I wanted to do there. I think I did the, the preseason um, I think there was a camp that could happen ahead of time, which mm-hmm. I think the pay was to go to the prime quarter and cook your own steak, which was an event yes, it was. itself. <laughs> and yep, then exactly. <laughs> and then uh, having the whole semester um, through the season, a very successful football season, be able to experience that. But then also just to be able to experience teaching some geometry. I got to teach uh, geometry with you for that uh, semester. And it was just, I, I mean, overall, just tons of experiences that I still draw from. And so that that's kind of the background of it in, in, of, of our relationship, but just thinking about all the different things that we went through during that semester, or at least, you know, from my perspective, and I know you had a lot of student teachers, but for me, it was one of the most meaningful things that uh, could have happened in my, uh, my, uh, my, my beginning and I felt prepared. And the thing is that was a great, a successful student teaching because after that, I, I didn't do another student teaching. Actually, I actually took on an internship where I took on more responsibility because I felt like I was prepared to do that after being in your classroom. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Joel. And I think, you know, I was blessed because as an educator, you know, it is a little bit like the lottery, except that when we come out as um, field experience teachers, um, there's not a, a draft, you know, and, and we're yeah. not praying to be the number one draft pick, okay? But the <laughs> bottom line is it's, it is by chance. And my assignment happened to be at a, at a school, you know, near Janesville, Delavan, Darianne. And mm-hmm. my experience with, uh, uh, and I was really, really blessed. And I, I'm now old enough to realize, and I, I didn't realize it too when I was in the classroom. You know, I had an experience where they were using IGE program, Individually Guided Activity, oh, Education, yeah. excuse mm-hmm. me. So everything was predicated on um, your proficiency. And each, each week, there was a learning activity packet rolled out. And students in 
four of the classes were in different places all over the board. Mm-hmm. And then I also had the opportunity to teach in a traditional class that was a pre-algebra class where they were not using IGE. So I got an opportunity to teach in a classroom where literally there were no walls with individually guided education and students at five or six different points at any given time. And then in the traditional setting and Reg Hawkinson and um, Bruce Kelly, they were the people that kind of lit the fire for me. And, and, you know, my answer is, and and Joel, you know this because you student taught here, but we've had lots of persons that want to come through and they want to get involved in our athletic program in some form. And the biggest thing I think is it's predicated on relationships and you can't build relationships. You know, if you're here, you know, a part of Hawaii and you're here today and gone to Maui. I mean, the bottom line is you need to have consistency because that student, he or she, they're saying, hey, is Mr. Damadon here today? Can can I get some help? You know, or is it Mr. Dai or whoever it might be? They, and just as your own children go through school, I'm sure that you experience as a parent, the relationships and the connections that your own children build with with their classroom teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which it's amazing because like, I didn't know that a part of your um, field experience of having the individually guided activity. I mean, that was part of like that teacher proof curriculum sort of era, like, Hey, just go and execute these sorts of things. Versus like when I, (laughs) I get sad thinking like, wow, like they're basically trying the curriculum is almost trying to insulate teacher or insulate students from teacher. And like thinking about like you as a teacher an outstanding teacher. And again, this is, I'm, I'm going to send a lot of praises your way, Joe, but like thinking about the, the, that is kind of sad, like that, that there's the, that disconnect and, and, and that the curriculum is almost trying to build. And so the fact that you went through that, I, I, that was kind of interesting that that was a part of your background. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think it is interesting, Joel. And the other side of the deal right now is, uh, as I shared with you um, locally here right now, I'm doing some things with um, uh, virtual instructional at, at, mm-hmm. at our Arise virtual school here in Janesville. And I see that, you know, and we use a canned curriculum um, and I don't sit in judgment of that curriculum. I sit there and uh, um, I'm actively participating to support the student or the learner's um, experience in the curriculum. However, and, and I think there are pros and cons on the IGE concept or even the virtual classroom um, when they're using a canned curriculum because some of that is self-actualized. Okay, the yeah, student yeah. he or she has a much more ownership of the discovery and how deep they need to drill down because some students may grasp the concept immediately, right. where others may need to drill down a little bit deeper to get mm-hmm. that to be placed solidly in their gray matter. And so it, it's even today, um, as an elder teacher, <laughs> I am very mindful that learners learn in different ways. And yeah. I was blessed because I had an opportunity um, to learn from some tremendous persons when I student taught. And the other thing is, and one of the reasons I've, I've always felt this is I wanted to support education because it's something I truly believe is, and you know, and this is not self-serving. I think it's the most important profession in our community and in our society because we build good people by doing good things yeah absolutely so i wanted to um throw some some learnings that i've had from you and just maybe even have a little discussion about them but then even to think like well where did maybe where did that generate from you like where did that come from in your 
path in, in becoming an educator. And, and I, I sent you this list and I wonder if I'm, you, you're ready to rock with this to see if, uh, how this is going to go. Yep. All right, here we go. Sure. This, this was like lesson one. I think, I mean, I, I want to say the first day and I, and I think it was even connected to, you know, talking about, you know, your master's degree when counseling and wanting to listening. I, I, you, you, you made that clear, like, and, and to see that also in your teaching as well. But this idea of people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And I think people have heard that, but I mean, I actually saw it. And so I saw it and I saw how you interacted with people. Even the, I just remember, I, I think I maybe came to visit before, maybe in the spring or something, just to come and get introduced or something. But I saw you teach a lesson on circles. And I remember you're talking about the pizza shop and then going to the pizza shop. And then you you were having discussions with people like, oh, I saw your mom at the pizza. Like, what kind of pizza? You get pepperoni? You like pepperoni? And like, just all these like it was like you're having discussions with everyone all at once and like showing them that you're a part of the community and you saw them in the community, you see their parents, you know who they are. And like you, and then it's like, well, of course they're going to want to know the, the, the formula for the circumference. And be, I mean, it's like you've built that conduit of relationship with them already. And I don't know. So that, that, that idea of people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I don't like what, where did that come from, Joe? Like, where did you start like with that mantra? Well, I really believe that it, it comes from the fact that, you know what, um, one of the persons that I was blessed to be around, he told me that um, when you get involved in education, and he happened to be a very successful coach, and he says, you get involved in education and you get involved in uh, um, coaching. So the bottom line is, I think you always need to ask yourself, how is it you would want your own child supported? Mm. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, I th- you know, and I said, you know what, we all hope that every one of our learners goes home at the end of the day to a family and to a a group of persons that are caring guardians or caring parents, and they truly, truly care about them. And the bottom line is um, that to me is what it's about, you know, and I'll even liken this. Okay. Um, When our children learn to ride bicycles, they typically start with training wheels then they might progress to mom or dad jogging along behind them, holding on the back of the seat. And then, you know, ultimately we take the training wheels off. But we don't just put them on the top of the hill and push them through the apple orchard and say, good luck. <laughs> you know, and and, and I, I mean, so that's what I'm saying. We don't want people to have negative experiences because when people have negative experiences, I think that sometimes they can internalize and it can cause some suffering and some pain in some way. And it prompts them to, you know, get a little bit callous and perhaps not to want to participate in the manner we would hope they would. And I, so I think that you want to build confidence. And I think, you know, by allowing students to engage in low risk activities, whether it be the classroom learner, and you have that person that he or she is not a real vocal participant, mm-hmm. and you know that he or she is lacking confidence in some form, let's give them a chance to swing and hit, whether it's a foul ball, and as opposed to swing and miss. And now when they swing and miss in front of their peers, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they internalize it, and there's some reluctance again to go back to the plate. And I'll say this because... Um, and, you know, everybody's got theories about what we should or shouldn't do in the classroom. But Madeline Hunter, when you talk about effective learning, I truly believe that her warm-up activities, which were always intended to be low risk, you know, and there was a progression. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe you have three questions in the warm-up. warm-up. One would be real minimal low risk. 
The second one would prompt a student to have to need to drill down. And maybe the third one would be the stretch problem because when you have a classroom of learners, we know there are different abilities and we wanna make sure that all the activities that we're doing get the students actively involved. And my big thing in the classroom and also on the field or on the track is active learning time. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, if I get 45 minutes in the classroom and I get 180 times 45 minutes, I think that's about 8,100 minutes for the year. Yeah. Am I going to waste a hundred of those minutes? And the bottom line is I, I just think that um, we want kids to feel that you care for them by getting them meaningful activities um, to have students engage in mindless drill work. Um, and I, I think there's a time and place for drill work, but I'd rather have that as a guided practice or an independent practice. And that's not going to be the crux of what we're, how we're going to construct lessons. Yeah. And I think about like, you, you're talking about all the different ways to help them, you know, see some success. And I remember like all the different ways that we, I mean, we operated in the classroom when I was in there. So like the, you know, there was the, um, sort of rows and columns lecture format for, you know, a little bit, but more of it, it was more of an interactive sort of, uh, thing where you'd go through and do some problems together. But then there was like, Hey, we're going to get in small groups. Hey, make the smallest footprint with your four desks and let's going to do some things activities that way. And then this was kind of where we would go to the computer lab and do some geometer sketchpad where they would make some constructions. And you think about all the different ways that kids could have been successful in any of those different environments. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like open up all these different access points for them to like see success or get access to the same content using either in the small groups in the whole class or in the computer lab. And I mean, and those are consistently a part of the routine It was like, it was pretty cool to see that it's almost like a, like to think of like, Oh, th this space is dynamic, right? That there's different things that we're going to do all around the same content. And like, did, I mean, how did, did that, I mean, is that, is that an expression of what you're saying here, Joe, or like, how did that come to be that, well, that sort of dynamic classroom? environment well i i think without a doubt you know and i, I think that you know and i wish i could live forever because then i could teach forever because i think i'm a better teacher today than i was in year one um mm. and and, my, and i think i probably shared this with you joel uh, you know one of the, the first things that happened when i was uh, a field experience teacher at uw whitewater was um i happened to be in a classroom and um dr mccurit came in and he was going to observe you know you know and so yeah, i always got to get the butterflies going and um we have a student who's you know and i and i learned early on that when students aren't on task and you prompt them to be disconnected and and you say okay i'm going to discipline that student and he or she in front of the peers and um i hear chalk on the backboard i'm doing my lesson and there's a student that has not necessarily been on task and now I, there's chalk on the backboard and dr Mature, this is my first day getting observed um the student writes on the backboard this class sucks and, you know, that's, I didn't think that was in Carnegie's book about how to win friends and influence people, <laughs> as, you know, as, as a positive. So I went back and I simply talked to the young person. I said, you know what? I said, I really kind of need you not to do that right now. Um, and uh, you know what? But, you know, you know whose fault it was that he was back there and in proximity to put the chalk to the board and, you know, to write a demeaning comment. It was my fault. Mm -hmm. You know what? The, the student wasn't connected. And that's why I go back and if students truly know that you care, whether it be talking about seeing their parent at um, the pizza shop or whether a student, um, you know, is 
and and I when I student taught in Delavan, there was a certain segment of the population, student population with this transient. And um, because uh, Delavan is a, a produce and an agriculture area mm-hmm. in the state of Wisconsin, where there at that time were a lot of transient workers that migrant workers that rotated through. And those students, in many instances, um, and we, we weren't teaching at a time where there was an English language learner support system. Yeah. And we have made some improvements and we've addressed some things. And, you know, had it not been for that issue, you know, I probably would have made a little bit better impression on my field experience supervisor than I did the first day. But I mean, or, you know, going back and you said, OK, you, you talk about the individually guided experience mm-hmm. uh, on, on geometry sketchpad. Uh, and I and then doing the, the group work, I think Michael Sarah, who wrote the book Discovering Geometry, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of people are really enamored with Michael Jackson and Elvis Jackson. You know, Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah was kind of my rock star because, you know, and I was kind of a weird dude because, um, you know, lots of my friends wanted to do lots of things. But I tr- truly, truly, my best friend in high school was not an athlete. He was a music student and uh, a piano player. And he's an incredibly successful banker to this day. Um, (laughs) But the bottom line is, you know what, you know, and so I think that breaking down those walls and talking to strangers, I'm going to quote Gladwell again. I think that's that's something I was able to do early on. Um, And I can still remember so many things that I learned from my parents and my grandparents about how to interact with others. And so when I go back and I think about Michael Sarah's work, I had the opportunity to go to NCTM mm-hmm. in Nashville. And I mean, and I can remember being like a groupie sitting on the floor, just <laughs> arduously taking down every word, you know, and I didn't have a tape recorder or anything like that. Here I am, I'm just arduously trying to take every word down that Michael Sarah said, you know, because he was kind of the 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 guy that said, it's okay for kids to ride their bike and skin their knee, but make sure that you use the training wheels long enough that they get some confidence. And so then, yeah, okay. Well, you know what, when kids get on the sketch pad and we all know that even today, and I look at this from my perspective, okay, being 68 years old, Joel, I understand that there are lots of persons and I interact with people that do not embrace technology. And you know what the bottom line is, you know, like from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. And my answer is I want to learn as much about technology as I can so that I can be a productive member of society mm-hmm. down the road. And I want to continue to to do that, you know. So I'm and I'm blessed to have connections with people like you. I mean, and I mean that sincerely because um just like I told my pharmacist, you know, the pharmacist that I talked to yesterday, how proud of him I am. I'm just so proud of, of who you are as a person, because I know what your moral fiber is and you're a good person and good people can do great things, you know, and because we truly, truly care about kids. Well, and that was, I mean, again, another cool, um, you know, feather in my cap was being with somebody who is a, like a consistent learner and thinking about all the different things to get, I'm going to jump out of order here for a second, but the, um, in our script, <laughs> but the geometer sketchpad, oh, yeah. just for those that didn't know, like there's the, it was a, it was a basically a software where you could manipulate like lines and segments and, and things and, and measure angles and such. So that like things like the law of signs, where there's the relationship between uh, in a triangle between the angle of it, the sign of the angle of the triangle and the, the length of the opposite side. And you can see how they're all equal. If you look at that and no matter where you, however you manipulate the triangle, how, whatever size you make, you see like, wow, they're always equal. Like that's amazing. And so like 
being able to see that versus just telling a kid like was kind of cool. And like, it was like mind blowing back then. And so like that we had a chance to show those sorts of things. And I had the experience to see like, how would you like, cause we would see those tools. I remember I had to buy the $400 TI 8092 plus or something like that. It was like, Probably. it looked like, yep. it looked like a world destroyer, like, <laughs> like something like Dr. Evil would yeah. have. And yeah. I mean, right. Remember I have to buy that. I'm like thinking like, Oh, we had to learn all this stuff on him. I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to be in a classroom where kids are going to have these. Like, what, what am I doing here? But then seeing like how, that same stuff that I learned was actually could be done within a lab at a school and like with, you know, computers and things and how you incorporate into your lesson. It was like, Oh, this is, this is reality. This isn't some make-believe sort of thing. This is actually something that I can actually do. And thinking about then you going to NCTM and I almost, I was laughing because NCTM is the national Council of teachers of mathematics and they have conferences, a big conference and they have like a regional conferences. And I believe they had a regional conference in Madison. I don't know if it was at the same time as I was in your classroom, but I had the opportunity to see geometer sketchpad demonstrated and talk to the, the demonstrator. And I, it, I don't know if it was Michael Sarah or whoever it was that was in charge of the, uh, um, like to go talk to them at the in the exposition hall and it was like one of those moments like oh my gosh this guy this is kind of cool and you're like anyone outside of that hall would have been like who who are you talking to who are you getting excited about but, but it was it was amazing exactly but like yeah, that idea of, life, buddy. oh yeah yeah exactly but i see saw that in how you did things i mean just that being a good teacher is about being a good learner and seeing how you demonstrated that with the the jumping in technology I mean, after we talked and after I'd been teaching for a while and went back to grad school, I would have you come in and talk to my methods class. And that's when uh, smart boards became the rage. And like you came in and you were rocking the smart board in my classroom and like and showing them like what you did. And I don't know that that whole idea of of, you know, diving into this stuff because, well, why not? Right. That's that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know that that sort of mentality would like seeps through you all the time, even. Even now you're talking about you're using Google Meet. Now we're into Zoom and all this sort of stuff in order to think about how to teach. Like, I don't know. How do you keep that fire going, Joe? Well, I, you know, I think the bottom line is because is there, you always have to ask yourself, is there a better way to do it? You know, and mm, yeah. I mean, and we were blessed, Joe, as you know, because we had some level of success um, on, on the football field and on the track. And we, and we were blessed because we had great kids. But the mm. bottom line is, you know, and, and, you know, lots of, and, and trust me, I'm not going to anoint Bill Belichick the king, but I will say that Bill Belichick has done it better than anybody at the professional level. Nick mm -hmm. Saban has done it better than anybody at the collegiate level. And I, and now I know that this is playing in the SEC country, so um, yeah, yeah. I won't say anything <laughs> beyond that. But I will, t I, I will say this, you know, how do people continue to grow and maintain a level of excellence? Mm -hmm. by asking themselves, you know, okay, you know, we're doing this pretty, pretty well. Is there something that we can do better? Is there something that we can do that will facilitate that student being willing to step out of their comfort zone? And I think the one thing, whether it be Sketchpad or whether it be the TI-92+, plus, which yeah, I, yeah. I laugh about because it was like almost the size of a Sega game. Oh, oh my gosh, system. yeah. <laughs> and, and then, but, but even today, embracing... Zoom, embracing WebEx, em, embracing you know um, Google Meet, and then would you have would you have ever thought that you and I could be independent of one another as teachers or as colleagues, and 
all of a sudden, and now people talk about graphing and how about Desmos? I mean, oh, I mean yeah. we use Desmos. I mean, and the things and all. Now I can go download that, use it of the free version, and I can say, oh, okay, now I can help that student. You know, or whether I'm, we're doing something, we use Cammy to do a lot of things to facilitate markings when we're exploring. Because I think the real deal is that when we were using um, the group cooperative learning, mm -hmm. where each student, he or she had a role assigned to them. And whether we were in the lab and we were using in some form in the lab, to me, that was coolest because we got to be the chemistry teachers for a while because mm -hmm. we were doing inductive discovery. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and you assigned the role of, okay, you're going to be the facilitator. You're going to be the spokesperson. You're going to be the, the group manager. So each student, he or she has roles. And I think to me, that's what it's about, you know, making sure that we want to continue, you know, uh, and um, when you were here, but we have a shirt, you know, I have a shirt from when I was coaching and it says, um, on the back of the shirt, it says better than yesterday. Mm -hmm. And if we as parents, and we as people think that, you know, every day I get out of bed that I can be better today than I was yesterday. I mean, that's a pretty good way to send a positive message to young yeah, people yeah. in a world where there's far too much uh, negativism. I think it's, we have a responsibility to make people feel like, you know what, I got a chance. I got a chance. I, I'm not going to swing and miss in Mr. Uh, Amadon's class. I'm not going to swing in Ms. Johnson's class. I'm not going to swing and miss in Ms. Zarnowski's class or whomever it might be. Just continue to be willing to build relationships so that you give kids enough confidence that if they swing and miss, they don't want to go back and sit on the bench. Yeah, I like those uh, those mantras that you had for the that were on the shirts and the shorts uh, that were at for the practice. My in my year, it was work hard, work together, which. I love to. That's that's another good one. So um, there's something I need to ask you about and something that if anyone that's ever had a class from me is going to know uh, what I'm going to ask next, because it was the thing that stood out and the thing that it was kind of like the thing that was as portable as anything uh, was this idea of a written learning celebration. Can you tell people what a written learning celebration is? Oh, boy. You know, the number of times early on in my career that I would have parents or students say, you know, well, I, I you know, I, I love the math class, but my child and the mom or dad would say to me or grandma in some instances, you know, my, my child has and my learner has test anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the bottom, the bottom line is it's just like, um, and it, particularly in a highly technical event, you know, like in the throws or the jumps or the vault and track and field, mm -hmm. the tighter and more amped up a person gets, sometimes the more inhibited they are to use the real assets that they have. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, um, so, I, <laughs> and I know, and I don't know, it, it just came to me one day, no, I, you know, a written learning celebration and we could bring cool and the gang in and we have a little background music. That's right. And, um, um, and you know, part of that was because um, I had been around programs, for example, as a coach. Um, and I think you learn on both sides of the field, uh, mm -hmm. whether you happen to be on the side of the field that has more points at the end of the contest or on the other side of the field where you have fewer, I think you still learn. And I think you still respect your peers across the way. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is sometimes when you're, uh, in, involved in a program and they're not being successful and kids aren't performing and, and necessarily having fun, you have to ask yourself why. So then you go back and you revisit. And I think that, you know, to help 
build confidence. I don't want that student to hear she in my classroom to sit back and say, oh my God, we, we, got, a, we got a unit test tomorrow. And I think there used to be make and break deals, you know, and, you know, okay, this is, and like, and this is something even that I struggle with right now um, as, as a virtual instructor. Um, uh, and even though we do have multiple DBAs where we have discussion-based activities where I engage the learner and it's one-on-one -on -one with me and them in a Google Meet or one-on-one -on -one with me and them in a, um, a Zoom, uh, we still want to get an opportunity to drill down and there I think there are prompts that I can you or I can give as teachers okay well tell, can you tell me a little bit more about that Joel can you tell me okay what happens when we try and apply the concept of the Pythagorean theorem in the real world mm -hmm. oh you, you're building a deck oh and, and you said how big is your deck gonna be oh it's gonna be 16 by 20 oh okay are, are you know and this student now is in a building trades class you know, he, so he's actually having a high school experience as, you know, a, a, in some form of carpenter and learning all those things. Now we've brought it to a place that, you know, okay, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I remember I was sitting in Dye's class, and he's kind of the old part, but he says, you know, <laughs> I, I can still kind of learn something and see and kind of, I, I remember when we do that. In fact, I have to be honest with you. I mean, I had a situation where I went down to talk to a person in the city about, you know, we were doing something on the back of our house. Um, and they said, yeah, I remember when I had you in class and said, yeah, this is the Pythagorean theorem. He says, that's what you have to use. So uh, I just think, you know, written learning celebrations, I, I think the bottom line is, and the other thing is, we are not, we are not intended to be rote individuals just sit mm -hmm. there not sitting there not interacting with one another. Why not just take a deep breath, relax, relax, relax. It's like the person that he or she's going in for an MRI, you know, mm -hmm. okay, just relax as you go on the tube. I, I don't want the student to feel that he or she has the tube experience where they're secluded. I want them to know that, you know, if they swing and miss, and I think that's one of the best things I, I learned as I progressed in education, which might be also directly proportional to the amount of gray hair that I had. <laughs> but as I, as I looked you know what, when, if a student swings and misses, do they get another chance? They do in mm -hmm. baseball. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, and I, and I don't find that mentality where, you know, you are relegated or taken out of the contest after you swing and miss. So why wouldn't we give that student that? And here's the deal. So if you or a loved one needs to have life-saving surgery in some form, what do you want? You want a person that's going to be nurturing mm -hmm. and you want them to have demonstrated proficiency and mastery at the necessary things to perform it in the safest manner possible. And to me, I, when if, if I have a cardiac and I go into cardiac arrest, heaven forbid, I hope that the person that comes to tend to my needs has demonstrated mastery. And if he or she past their boards on the first test or on the fourth time around, I don't care because at that time I'm the person that's in need. That's right. And the person that sometimes, and I have many because I've taught long enough, I'm old enough that I have many former students that are in the medical field and some of them have passed their med M MCATs the first time and some of them haven't. And you know what? And I think back, when my father became very ill and was in a hospital, um, I happened to be in the 
a hospital in Beloit. And, um, I'm visiting my dad and in walks a student that was uh, the valedictorian at Parker High School. And he's in um, the, the Medgar and um, he's working as a, a nurse's aide. And I know that he had graduated from uh, UW Stevens Point. And he said, yeah, he says, um, um, obviously I'm waiting to get, you know, into med school. And he says, my mom's a cardiac nurse. And you know what she told me? She told me that if I'm going to be a cardiac nurse, she said that I need to understand all the roles that different persons have mm-hmm. in the medical community. And I thought, what an interesting perspective. Yeah. You know, because And it goes back, and I think in some form, talking to strangers. How, how is it that we make strangers feel welcome and we dignify their presence? And my, Joel, and you know this, because I believe this forever. My, one of the, my number one assignment when I took on a classroom was to make sure I knew the students' learners' names in two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can tell you, and there was a reason I had an organized seating chart, because I wanted to learn the student names right away. And as fast as I can, because I think when you call students by name and you praise them by name, they become more and more confident. And no longer is it a unit test or a summative test or a formative test. It can simply be a written learning celebration with cool and a game in the background. You know, and I and I can remember and um, and I'll I'll say this point blank. When I first started, you know, in, in the weight room, a very regimented and, and I don't say with any level of pride. Um, I thought we always did a great job of t- treating students with first class and, and, and in, a, in a very respectful manner. But I would never, ever have thought about having music in the weight room. And we had a person that student taught at Parker High School, and he, he was on the field. And I watched him, and he was a tremendous teacher and a tremendous coach. And we hired him, and, and we were fortunate to hire him back from Cuba City. And he came back to our place and um you know, every time we would go to the weight room, he would crank up ACDC and that <laughs> ACDC wasn't in Metallica and they, they weren't. And I know surprisingly, because you know how I rock. Okay. I wasn't, they weren't on my playlist, Yeah, but I watched and all of a sudden, you know, what? I'm looking around and I'm watching our kids. It's not interfering. It's not interfering. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Hey, you know what? If that doesn't interfere when our kids are doing lifting might the introduction of music into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And because, and I don't even remember, Joel, when you were here, what, you know, the, I, we would play, you know, like when there was some, when there was some independent practice or there was some guided learning, I would like, I, I got to a point where I played music on a low, soft level in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't do it all the time, but there were certain days that we did. And I think that you have to ask yourself, is the classroom being set up for your comfort? Right. I mean, because I clearly understand that Kate picked your classroom where you're teaching from right now, and you deserve that, okay? And I say that in full jokingly, okay? But the bottom line is, you know what, is why, why are we doing what we're doing in the classroom? Shouldn't every decision that's made in the classroom be predicated on what's best for the student in the long run? Absolutely. That's, that's literally how I ended up getting into the written learning celebration and cooling the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I've taken, I mean, and is my students have, you know, heard me talk ad nauseum about it, but like, even just the day that you called, we were in the, at finishing up a written learning celebration. And I just at the, and we did it through Google forms. And I had at the end, anything you want to disclose, because I always put like some sort of like release valve in case there's something that's bothering them, anything, you're, it could be about the celebration, or it could be something about the class or just, you know, they just want to say something. And about four or five people just said, 
because it was the first time they had me as a teacher for uh, in our preparation program. It was like, hey, the, the, for some reason, the word celebration just like made me think like this is this is uh, nothing to get too excited about. And I was able to go in and we were breaking down standards into objectives. That was the main focus of that. But it got me to think like it, and something I've been saying over and over again is like celebration is kind of an extension of your people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Like, right. We're, I want to, we've learned stuff. Let's celebrate it. Like, cause I, I know your name. I know you. I, I want to celebrate this learning with you versus test feels like very impersonal. feels like I don't trust you. Like Joe, I want to test you. I want to see, I don't think you know this. I'm going to test you to see you if you actually, know. it's like, there is a little bit of like, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's such a difference. And it's just, a, it's a simple word. And like, cause there really wasn't anything different. You just, Hey, where it says test at the top, let's change that to written learning celebration. And it's like, it's just, there's a little bit different, but then even what I took to it as well. And I kind of ran with it a little bit was, okay, if I'm going to do standards-based grading, let's see where you at on these objectives and we can celebrate what you have. And then the other ones, Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Like you said, we're going to take another swing at them. And so those sorts of that mentality, I mean, it, it, that's a plant that has grown. That's a seed that was planted for me along uh, during my student teaching that just, I keep thinking about and I keep using it now. And I think, and guess what? You're like a third or fourth generation. Like I know that some of my teachers who are out in the field are having celebrations too. So it's like, it's this, it's this idea. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Well, you know what? And I think that we all, and myself included, we all have things that we need to help us feel loved to feel uh, feel supported um and i can th think back joel um because this happened after you were at our place so um, uh, we had a gentleman who's now a superintendent in a nearby school district and he happened to be um a partner of mine uh, as he was supervising the math department mm -hmm. and um this was about a about the time that um state assessments were being kind of pu pushed across yeah. and there was lots of angst by classroom teachers and some of my colleagues. Oh, you know, well now they're gonna they're gonna keep score. And my answer was, well, you know, they keep score every Friday night when we're on the field, and mm -hmm. you know they're gonna post that score the next day in the paper, and that that is considerably less important than whether or not my classroom students are being successful in securing standards. You know, and I can tell you this point blank: in forty six years in this business. Never once has anybody come up to me and said, hey, you know, how are your geometry students going to be next year? Do you think they're going to be good with Pythagoras? How do you think they're going to handle that unit on similarity and, and transformations? Yeah, not once. You know, when, when I've been out to dinner with my family, um, they, they not once did anybody come up that, hey, you know, but we got a lot of this. Hey, you know, how are you guys going to be this fall? Or, hey, how's the tracking? Are you, are you going to get a four by four to the state meet? You know, I got a lot of those, but not the other. And so long story short, this person wh who's working with me says, you know, you know, state assessment is coming. And I said, well, I said, I said what are we going to do to address it? And I said, well, bottom line is we need to do a lot more formative assessments. We need to get feedback on what our, where our students are on the form, particular formative assessments. And we need to find out what are the standards that our students have secured? What are the standards that we're swinging and missing? And in some instances, we need to do it where that student, he or she is not threatened. So what we did, and uh, Joel, I'm going to tell you point blank, I've been blessed. You know what, you referenced the smart, smart board. Um, Kathy Bogusheski, who was the tech person in our district at that time, she came to me one time and she said, hey, would you be interested in having a smart board? And I said, yeah, well, could you get me a Cadillac at the same time? And she said, no, I can't get you the Cadillac. But she says the smart board is a Cadillac for so far as technology is concerned in the classroom. So th that, and I was the first person in Janesville and subsequently taught 
you know, fellow teachers here in Janesville. Um, I don't want, I don't want to say taught. I, I, I facilitated workshops um, for their exploration and introduction to the smart board. So when I talked to Dr. Kieser, I said, Hey, I said, you know what I'd like to do? And, I, and you know how many, how big our department was. We had about 14 people in it yeah. at this time. And I said, um, I want to be able to get instant feedback. And so what we did is we got Centios. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, and I'm sure you're familiar with Centios. Okay. And I know that's antiquated now, but I want, I'm just trying to make the point of how we did it. And we went and we met as a department, spent two weeks in the summer and we put together formatives and summatives and we went through this and we took the assessments and every student he or she was on the centio and boom so instantly we get, we'd take all the data and there were at that time i think there were 10 different persons teaching geometry and i can say this point blank i think one of the worst things that happened in classrooms when the first schools were built was they put walls up between teachers mm, yeah Okay, so what happens when walls go up in between teachers? It inhibits, it inhibits, it doesn't have to prohibit, but it does inhibit interaction between colleagues who we all want to be successful because we're on the same team, we're in the same school. Yeah. However, but now teachers are going to be graded. You know what? And we might base it on merit pay. And if teacher A is knocking it out of the park and teacher B who has a different and I, I has a different group of students might not be knocking it out of the park. So right away, people in some form of threat. So the first thing we did is we got all of it, and then we had ten teachers, and they would all submit their data to me because as a department chair, I would then facilitate. I would manage the data, and we'd take okay. And typically, some uh, excuse me, formatives were only like ten questions, and they were and every question for every learner we knew as we had planned during our workshop this summer what the standard was that it, this question was tied to. Mm-hmm. So then we could say, okay, oh, question three, oh, our students performed at 94%. Um, question seven, our students, we had 17% of our students got this question right. So what is the place that we need to drill down, that we need to drill down deeper, and we would go back and we would build our next summative, or we, those students that swung and missed, okay, Joel, if that person that takes... The, the MCATs, if they don't succeed on the first time, they can take it a second. Again, they can take yeah. it a third. Mm-hmm. So long as they pay the money, we, we love to pay the money. <laughs> yeah. But the bottom, the bottom line is, as a classroom teacher early on in my education, I didn't give students retakes. And I thought, wait a minute, that's not what I'm doing in football. That's not what I'm doing in track and field. If you demonstrate to me that you can't do it yet, then we're going to nurture you and support you till you get to the point that you can do it. And the first thing that happened was, okay, so we started getting good data back, okay, because, and we made great gains because we were addressing it. Mm-hmm. However, it started in some form polarizing some of our department members because now everybody saw everybody's performance. So I said, okay, talk with Dr. Kieser. I said, you know what we're going to do? I said, when I roll out the data to all the teachers, I'm not going to personalize it. I am not going to personalize. We're taking, we took teacher names off and we rolled out the data. And now when, when what we did is those teachers individually, we were all charged with, okay, whoever the students are that demonstrated, then we would go back and we created battery, a, a, bank, a bank of questions. And we said, these are the ones that go back and address standard. This one goes back and addresses this standard. And we let students spiral and go back. 
And uh, it, we made great gains in our testing. And the bottom line is it was another way for us to get immediate feedback. Because I think, you know, all of us as educators need to use database decision-making and whatever we can do to help our kids build confidence. And you know the thing that happened? I talk about kids. But when we started not rolling it out by teacher, it was a completely different discussion. Yeah. Because I wasn't sitting there trying to protect or defend the performance of my students. Yeah, it's just you know what like I want what's best. I mean, it gets back to what are we here for, right? What we're here for the learning of our students. Oh. And and then and also too, that whole idea of like we're all gonna get better, right? You know, at the same time, if we can focus in on this sort yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I know that uh, I told you 45 minutes, we're way over 45 minutes, but I do want to, I do, I do have two more questions. If you give me two time for two more questions. So um, we're good. Okay, good. So one, just knowing how you've had all this perspective as a department chair, as a teacher, as a, um, as a, a coach, um, and even thinking about like, you know, you're talking about like facilitating work, like a teacher of teachers. And so thinking about that, what, what advice do you have for those that are entering into the profession, either as a, as a teacher, as a coach, as a, a t even a teacher of teachers, so, and, or even to have all those experiences as a parent as well, too, is like, what advice do you have for teaching in general? Well, I think my number one piece of advice for teaching in general would be to be a good listener, to be a good listener and have great compassion. You know, and, I, and I'm not misrepresenting this in any way, shape, or form. Um, I can remember being at University of Wisconsin at Whitewater. It was in the first century. And um, <laughs> I was there, um, and I had taken public speaking, and I had taken public speaking two times dropped the class because, Joel, I could not get up and f talk in front of people. I had incredible anxiety. And my wife doesn't believe that, by the way. It's hard for me um, to believe that too, Joe. not so, being but... able to get up and, <laughs> yeah. But that, that is the gospel truth. And um, I, I can remember sitting down and talking with my advisor, Dr. Tom Wilcox. And Dr. Wilcox said to me, he says, Joey, says, this is your third time into um, you know, the public speaking class. He says, and if, if you're not able to finish the um, course on public speaking, he said, I truly believe that you're, you're not going to be allowed to stay in the School of Education, so you're going to need to revisit that. And I got through it, okay? So, but I got through it because, number one, there was a sense of urgency. And, and number two, it was something I knew that I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, this is heresy in some form, a piece of advice. Um, I'll go back and say, you know what, and, and, I, and Joel, I think you may, you and I may have had this conversation, but I think one of the things that we do when people declare themselves as math majors, what does it mean to be a math major? Mm, okay, well, we're going to study topology. We're going to study college geometry. We're going to study discrete mathematics. Um, oh, and you're, you're going to take three semesters of calculus. Mm -hmm. And... Mm, you're going to take number theory? Yeah, you're going to take number theory too. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You know what, Joel, tell me what any of those have to do with being an effective teacher in the classroom. So far as our secondary math curriculum is concerned, I, for one, and I'm saying this point blank, you know, um, I use this term QTR, quality time remaining. 
You know, if I get to be 80 years old, if I get to be 80 years old and I was born in the right year, I get 29,200 days. And if I get to have 29,200 days, just like I talk to my student teachers about active learning time, I don't want to misuse one of these days. Mm -hmm. So with that having been said, you know, why would I want to take a person who has committed themselves to being a teacher and perhaps have them, and I do believe that we need breadth, but I do also think that sometimes the education component, and I don't know, because I'm not there at Ole Miss or that closely aligned with what is happening currently at Madison. Um, I think we need to focus on what are the best methods that we can, and I don't want to say give, that we can expose our learners to as field experience participants so that they can make the decisions for what works best for them. Because, and I don't know if it was you, and I think it was you, talking about giving kids a toolbox. Mm -hmm. um, but we want kids to have toolbox. And not everybody's toolbox looks the same. You know, everybody has tools. I have two. One's a phone book and one's a checkbook. Um, <laughs> the phone book has become antiquated now. And my checkbook doesn't always work real good, depending on what time of the month it is. So my answer is find tools that we can expose kids to and don't be afraid to let kids swing and miss. But most importantly, love your kids every, every doggone day. And I mean that seriously care about them, you know, um, and in the virtual time that we live in, uh, I'll share this experience. Um, you know, so you, you, you meet face to face via zoom or Google Meet, and I'm working with a, a learner this past fall. And um, one of the first conversations we have, and, you know, and she's in um, a math class. And I said, well, how do you feel about going virtual this year? And I think lots of students were put in a position where it wasn't necessarily their choice that they were going to go virtual, but mom and dad made right. the choice because they felt that that was best for their child. And so you're certainly not going to weigh in one way or another about that's appropriate or inappropriate with the learner. But, you know, I said, how are you feeling about it? Oh, she says, you know what? I'm I'm okay, I guess. <coughs> Excuse me. She said, but the thing that I'm really upset about is I can't take I can't take choir, and I can't take acapella choir. Oh yeah. And you know, and I and time out. I said, Joe, you know, you, you, I've never thought about that. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about what the student wasn't getting as far as the choir that concern. Yeah. And even so, everything that happens in our world. And I think as guardians of our children and guardians of our future in some form, we need to think about what is that ripple effect where the pebble drops into the water? Because when it drops into the pond in your backyard, Joel, you know what the ripple effect is. Mm -hmm. I don't have any idea what the ripple effect is in Oxford, Mississippi. Okay. But when 16 inches of snow drop in Janesville, Wisconsin, our world doesn't necessarily stop. Now, if you give me some of the heat and humidity that Oxford experiences, probably we look different in the summer than Oxford does. However, so my, my answer is for people that are considering this, number one, you will never be disappointed that you made the decision. Number two, um, you'll never be able to count the number of times that you light fires. And I think that for myself as a classroom teacher and as a coach, it's, it's about lighting fires because we used to tell our kids all the time, if, you know, yeah, okay, so play the game is great. 
to win the game is greater, to love the game is greatest. And to love the game means that you truly care about all the participants on both sides of the field. And the bottom line is I, I'm hoping that, you know, by students that are with Joel Amadon in Oxford, Mississippi, or a field experience student at UW-Whitewater or at UW-Madison, I hope that people are helping them keep supplied with matches because uh, sometimes you, you strike the match and it breaks. And you know what? So are you going to quit trying to light fires? I'm not. I'm not. And I'm not going to look for a default, you know, an auto light. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to keep striking matches. So take, take chances and, you know, don't ever be afraid to, to swing. You know what? And don't go back to the bench and, and sit down if you swing and miss and just, Support kids, love them, love them, man, because kids are our future. And, you know, and, and I'm sure that you understand it, Joel, and you appreciate that not only as a professor, however, but as a parent. And, you know, when, when you're blessed to be a grandparent someday, those, you know, and I think the one thing is that life is slowed down for both my wife and myself because we're not full-time teachers at all mm-hmm. at present. So I think you, the coffee, you get to, you get the smell of the coffee a little better. You understand, you know, the, the the ambience that happens on a daily basis when you watch your grandchildren go off to school. And, and we were blessed this, this year because for the most part, um, our two grandchildren um, were face-to-face as learners. Um, mm-hmm. And they were able to, you know, get to a cohort group that they could support that. So, but the biggest thing is, uh, my advice is, you know, light fires and love kids and most importantly, be a great, great listeners. And you know what? Those kids, when they come in your classroom, the very first day of the year, when we're back to face-to-face learning, they are going to be in a position of having to talk to strangers. And as my good friend Gladwell would say, think about how it is that you're going to facilitate and listen attentively. Well, that sounds like a, uh, a great message to end on. I know that, uh, I just was thinking, processing through my head a little bit on my dissertation topic was on teaching math as agape or considering what does it look like to teach math as an act of unconditional love. And I remember when I finally came up, you know, coined or whatever thought of that and is like, you know, someone said, well, what does that look like? And, you know, and I was doing a little bit of, like looking back at my notes that I just took about our conversation and thinking all the different things, all the different points that I was trying to, you know, feebly make in that <laughs> dissertation. Um, uh, and looking at all the different things that you mentioned, Joe, and it's looking at like, there's such an alignment there and it's like, well, okay, go to Joe Dye's classroom. That's, that's kind of what it looks like. And so, so thank you for being an example. Thank you for uh, sharing your expertise. And I'm just so glad that uh, we got this down and we can uh, share it with others. Hey, Joel, I appreciate it. It was great talking with you. Uh, you make today a great day and stay well. Thank you, Joe. There you go. Uh, that's a little, uh, a slice of Joe. Um, it's, it's something I, I never get. I never get enough of talking with him about just teaching and just what he's up to. And, and as you get, like, there's always kind of like this edge of, of, um, I don't want to say mischief, but just like, you know, he knows he enjoys what he does. And like, there's a picture of him and I want, I want you to go see it. It's a, uh, his hall of fame induction picture. It's through the Wisconsin, uh, football coaches association, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but go take a look and so you can see Joe, like that picture is perfect. Cause it's like, he's got this little grin, like 
it's like you and him are in on some little secret. And that's kind of how he was with his classroom. Like, hey, this this math stuff, you you got it. You we all got it. You'll get it in just a second. Or you know, this teaching thing, like you might not get it, but you're gonna get it. Or this football, that you're gonna get it. Like, and it's all fun. It's all we can all engage in it. We can all um, make the most out of this opportunity. And so, go take a look at that picture, and, and so you can see uh, see Joe and just read a little bit more about him, his life. He's he's a very humble person, and. Uh, um, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to take a moment uh, through this podcast, at least to shine a light. And maybe there's more uh, influential people out there for those of you that are teachers that maybe we should have them on the podcast as well. And so uh, don't hesitate to drop a line to joel at amazonplanet.com. You can also do a bunch of other ways to reach me. We'll go through those in just a second. But thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, that's about all we have. There'll be show notes again at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 42. Um, if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review. Um, that would be great. <laughs> you can also subscribe to the Evan to Planet download, which will um, post updates uh, and other resources that we find that might help folks to, t- to teach better. Um, but updates from Amazon Planet will come from there. And you can sign up for the Amazon Planet download by going to AmazonPlanet.com. There's various buttons to join the email list. You can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. That's also a place where you can connect with me to maybe share some other things that you're learning about to, uh, or that you're learning in order to help you figure out how to teach better. I'd love to hear those things. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Again, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Amazon Planet Podcast. We know that time is uh, your most valuable resource, so we really appreciate it. Also, thanks to Joe uh, for sharing his time and expertise. Hopefully, we get to get him on again. Maybe we'll talk about uh, uh, that Malcolm Gladwell book that he uh, talked about, referenced many times uh, in this episode. Also, thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.